Hey everybody, Raul here for Bass Musician Magazine, and today we have the great honor and pleasure of chatting with none other than Marty O'Brien. Yay! Hey, thank you. How are you, buddy? Doing great, Marty, doing great. Marty has played with a plethora of acts and players. He is you know does a ton of touring and studio work and all kinds of interesting things, and we'll definitely want to get into that. But as always, we go back to the past. How did you get started in music and particularly on bass? It's kind of a funny story about how I got started on the bass. I was like I was like twelve years old and I just was starting to listen to rock bands and I and I wanted to be in a band, you know. But you didn't really d- differentiate what the guitar and bass did, you know, and I thought it was a cool idea. But I always remember the moment when I realized the impact the bass has, you know. I was on my BMX bike when I was a kid. I'll never forget. I was leaning on the handlebars, listening to this older, it was like an older kid. He was like a few years older. And he had like a little boombox on the front step of a friend's house. And he starts playing Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple, you know. Now, this is in the 80s, so it's it's years after the song came out, but I knew the song, but it starts, you know, with like the hi-hat and the guitar and, you know, and all the frequencies are up here. They're all high, you know, and and then he goes right before the bass comes in and he goes, he goes right here. I love when the bass comes in and he kind of air basses, dum, 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 you know, and it just filled that frequency filled the whole bottom. And that was the moment when I went like, wow, like it, it had a huge impact on me, like, wow. Like all everybody else in the band was up here in the frequencies, and all of a sudden this thing came in, this growl, dum 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 dum, and it just, and I was like, well, so from that day on, I go home and I'm watching MTV, and I'm and I'm and I'm listening, and I'm the frequency is what is what I love the most, mm-hmm. and that truly like I remember watching videos and oh I I could start to hear it, you could start to pick it out, and then I'd see people playing it, and you know I'm like 12 and I see people on MTV. I go, oh, and I started to click, like, oh, the big thick strings are the bass, and it had a big impact on me, that one moment where I realized the impact that frequency has, you know, that low end, so I, that's what, that's when I got started, I started taking a, I took a couple lessons in town, maybe four or five lessons, mm-hmm. and I realized I just didn't like having to, the regimen of it, and then I just started teaching myself, like, just how to figure out, like, Led Zeppelin songs and stuff, and that's how I got started, yeah. Very nice, well, and for some of our younger viewers... There's a few objects that you might not be familiar with. The boombox was a, a unit with speakers yes. that many times ran on batteries, and sometimes they would play cassettes. Our first one had an eight-track player, that's another archaic uh, yeah. thing in it. But you know, radio cassettes, yeah. eight tracks, and I, I, I came up in the cassette era. There you go. And they had, I think, one of the characteristics is that they paid special attention to bass. That for for the first time you would get some kind of subwoofer kind of action, whereas traditionally yeah. regular record players and stuff, it, it was full spectrum. But with the boomboxes, a lot of times they'd even go you know bass boost or something. It's got yeah. more that is, that's going on there. So they were, geared, they were geared towards like the hip hop scene. So that's probably why they added that you know a lot of eight oh eights and all that stuff. Yeah, I remember it like. My eyes opened up. It's like, whoa, the bass. <laughs> there you go. There you I go. More about the bass. What is this? Yeah. And uh, the other detail that many of you may have missed is that back in the day, MTV actually used to have music. So, yeah. 
they had like maybe one game show, and then came more game shows, and more game shows, and dating shows, and then it was like, where's the music? The, those were the best years. I, I used to totally yeah. get sucked in, and the videos usually had almost a Pavlovian effect. When you heard even the first few bars of something playing in the background, you'd go running to see the video. I, if it was Van Halen, one of my favorites, Dire Straits, you know, Money for Nothing, all you had to do was hear the opening, and you're like, okay, I got to go. Yeah, I gotta go watch. Leave the TV on all day. It was like having the radio on, and then when I want, you know, it was amazing. Absolutely. Well, moving along from that, again, you've played with so many people, as I mentioned, Lita Ford, Daughtry, Tommy Lee. You've played at Ozfest. You've been on TV. I mean, a, a, a range of people that it's not even kind of in one particular area. There's a lot of rock in there, but. <laughs> Yeah, I saw you know, Kelly Clarkson, Celine Dion. So there's been, you know... Little, yeah, that, little... That's actually what I'm most proud of is the wide range. Because, like, you know, the, the resume has, like, Disturbed and then Kelly Clarkson, Static X, and then Celine Dion. I, I think that's funny to me, you know? And, it's, and I'm most proud of it, too, is because when you're first trying to get into the studio world, first of all, nobody wants, like, you know, at first I thought, ooh, I played for a couple big acts. So like, now I'll start trying to get into the studio world and for years it was like no 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 there's there's studio guys and then there's you who plays in live that was the the attitude you got mm -hmm. and also too like you're not you're probably not going to play on a Celine Dion record if you're pegged as like a metal guy not yeah. a bad thing but if like you're like I had just done a tour with like Disturbed filling in on bass probably unlikely some producer is going to be like let's get that guy that plays metal for the Celine Dion record but <laughs> So that's why I'm most proud of is uh, kind of breaking through the stereotypes and uh, and getting on some pop albums as well as metal tours and so yeah it's it's been fun yeah I had a lot of fun doing it too very cool well and with such a diverse portfolio where do you kind of find your inspiration like how do you create your your baselines do you draw from you know, again you you had such a, a background in rock but with all these new challenges. That, yeah, I guess you just pull it from the things I grew up over the years. Like I might, if I tour with, like I mostly tour with rock bands, so here I am with this growly, dirty tone. But when I get in the studio, I usually bring the old vintage P basses and I'm looking for like that James Jamerson or, or like John Paul Jones kind of round tone, which mm -hmm. is so unlike what I do live because I play the Spectres and other like active uh, Charvels that, you know, get you that, that growl. But mm -hmm. in the studio, it's like I bust out the old vintage stuff. And I don't know, you just kind of, it's kind of an instinct that, you know, you wouldn't get called for a Kelly Clarkson session and then turn on the the just, <laughs> the uh, growling bass tone. It's, I don't know, you just kind of picture what would go here well with this. And I, I channel, try to channel the, the James Jamerson or the John Paul Jones for that stuff, you know, nice clean tone and land on the kick drum. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, and I've even heard from a, a lot of studio musicians if they were to show up when they showed up at a studio with like a five string instead of a four string that they're going, what, you're going to play that? Not to mention the extended range guys. You show up with six or, or, or seven strings that are like, uh, we didn't want the guitar. We wanted a bass player. And I think that's part of what helped me get into the session world, too. It, it helped me when I was a kid, too. Like I, I was just a local kid and I wanted to play in band like these local bands I would go see. And I was like, the next time a band like that needs a bass player, I need to be prepared so they know that I have pro gear, you know? So I always made sure I had good stuff. And then when I started getting into the session world, I was like, I need a vintage P, but you know, you, you want to have the tools and all mm -hmm. the options. So 
I saved up and got a vintage P base. I got a 61 P base, which I cherish to this day, and I've used it on a lot of tons of stuff. And, uh, you know, you show up to that, you just want to show, like, you work with a new producer, and I'd show up with, like, a fretless, couple five strings, couple vintage P basses, modern, like, active basses, just like, and they're like, wow, you got it. So the hope is that, you know, you go in there and you do some pop song with the guy, but then. A month later, he was like, hey, I know you have five strings, too. I'm doing this rock track. You, we come over and do, like, just show up with all the options and all the tools. And that was my goal always, to just be the guy that, oh, he's prepared. He's got it all. If we need fretless, call him up, you know. So that was the goal, and hopefully it worked. So There you go. Well, it sounds like the perfect justification for gear acquisition syndrome. <laughs> yes. Well, I need it, right? <laughs> totally, totally. Since we're talking about gear, and, again, you have – such a, a wide palette, of course, the eye always strays to everything behind you, like the kid yeah. at the toy store. But how are you getting your sound? What are the kind of the main elements with the tools that you're playing on? Almost everywhere I go, I use Aguilar amps. And that's, that's funny how I got into that. I had, I was using another brand for years. And I'll never forget, I, I went to go do a session for like a video game. And it was the the original bass player for the band Hoobastank had had some gear in a studio, and somebody said, you can plug into the, this head right here, you know, in this cab if you want to try this. I was like, oh, you know, and I tried it, and I was like, oh, what is that? Like, come on, you know? But I, I was like, no, I, I have all my all the stuff I need. I don't need to be switching gear and new amps, none of that. And then it happened again. Like, I used somebody's amp like a year later or two years, this Aguilar, and it was like, oh no it was like i loved it so much i was like i got i just have to switch so uh aguilar it seems like it's geared towards one genre i guess kind of but it like they don't seem to push it towards the heavy rock bands or anything but it you can use it for anything it's like it's a supercharged amp beautiful clean tones and you can just dig into it and so that that's a part of it. And then for basses, it just depends what the gig is, you know, if it's like a live rock band, like I said before, you know, more of a modern tone with the, you know, P and J pickups active and, you know, or if it's a session of usually the vintage stuff, I got a couple old 50s and 60s ones that I bring and I just love it, you know, and it's so different. So, you know, even the 50s and 60s basses, when I, I the 61 P bass, I used on almost every pop session ever and then i was like i really want a 52 p bass <laughs> but then it, the thought was like am i stupid for buying just another vintage p bass you have one it's it's that's all you need for that and then i got it and i was like but it's so different than the than the the 52 is so different than the 61 i mean they're in that ballpark but they're so different so then that was my justification for forgetting it right there you go that's my reason they're all different they're all different that's what that's all this important but now there's one common thing with all of them and preference in strings what are you playing on elixir strings i converted to elixir years ago and i will never go back and you know they're coded so they blast it and for some reason my sweat it must be like alien sweat because with any other brand and when i play a, a you know, with some big rock show, you're sweating it. And my, the sweat of my hands just kills the tone of a set of strings in one show. I mean, the next show, it's like unusable. It sounds like a 20 year old set of strings. It's like really bad. And you know, with this, with the, uh, that tone you're looking for, kind of that growl, it just goes away. 
Then I did the elixirs, and I was like, wow, they last. I mean, they it just protects it from my sweat, and they last forever. Like, it's amazing. And another interesting thing that nobody ever mentions, and I don't think I've ever even said it, was when you buy a brand new set of strings, usually they're super bright when you first put them on, like almost too much. Like, ooh, like I used to like when they would just wear out just a little bit, and then they then they land in that zone of like, ooh, they've got brightness, they've got low end, but they're not too, you know, high end. And with the elixirs, when I put them on, they're right in that zone already. They're maybe because of the coating, they're not too super, super bright. And they're just in that perfect zone that I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And then they just stay like that forever. I mean, eventually you do have to change them. But it's amazing how long they last. And I, I'll, yeah, I'll always use Elixir. They're amazing. Nice. And are there any other particular elements in your gear that are particular things that you depend on? Not too many pedals right now. I do I do have that new uh, Getty Lee Moving Pictures anniversary pedal. Ooh, oh. that's, that's <laughs> sweet. But yeah. no, not a lot of. I mean, I have a ton of pedals, but I don't. That's not part of my usual. Gotcha. Been using Charvel five-string basses and some Spectres on the road too, some Fenders, and Levy straps on all the basses. Nice. Uh, I put okay. the same six Levy straps on all my touring basses twelve years ago. I was thinking about this the other day. Put them on twelve years ago, and just the same straps, so that they don't break, they don't wear. So the same, the same straps for over a decade. Excellent, excellent. <laughs> yeah. So as we look forward, what's in the works? What's coming in the future? After 10 years of touring with Lita Ford, I got offered to play for the band Daughtry back in beginning of last year. And I started with them in May. And so I just had a, a busy year touring with them, and it was great. And in about two weeks, we get started again with like production, couple production rehearsals, and then we... Uh, hit the road and they they're hinting that it's going to be a busy year first show is in vegas like the third week of february and then a couple other things coming up that aren't announced yet and then we're going to the uk and very exciting we're playing royal albert hall which blows my mind that's like yeah so very excited about that it's like a super historic venue that's over i think uh, 125 years old or 150 years old it's crazy yeah i've seen pictures <laughs> has given speeches there that's how that's how historic it is so uh wow. and it's a beautiful venue i've never even been so it's it's always been one on the list so it's like wow we're playing royal albert hall so that's uh it's a two-week tour in march we're hitting about like six or seven cities and finishing with london on the uh, 26th or 27th yeah we're excited very excited Nice. And, uh, and then apparently a bunch of stuff coming up. So a lot of touring with Daughtry this year, yeah. Very, very cool. And yeah. if people want to stay on top of where you're going to be, because there's so many dates and they might go, hey, you're going to be in a town near me. If they go to martyobrian.com, is that one of the best places to look? Yeah, yeah, all the stuff's on there. It's kind of like the hub. You can find all the social media links from there, martyobrian.com. You know, the, the usuals, the Instagram, the Facebook, yeah. all that stuff. Which, since you mentioned them, Instagram, Facebook, or at Marty O'Brien. On Twitter, it's Marty underscore O'Brien. Yeah. If people are looking, so they they can check out. You stay pretty active on your social media stuff? Yeah. Good. Uh, Part of it is because I like to do a lot of, like, uh, exploring and hiking and things when I'm on the road. So it's a a mix of... uh, here I am at the show, but then it's like here I am on this trail. <laughs> it's a lot of, lot of, lot of that stuff. 
here I am. I have a life and I do other things as well. Yep. <laughs> well, Marty, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to chat with us. Folks, keep an eye on Marty's website, on his social media. You might see him in a town near you and catch right. his show. Very exciting stuff. You've seen him here, Marty O'Brien on Bass Musician Magazine. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it.